We are starting a new series here in May called The Awakened Church. Amen. And the title of the sermon is The Gift of Waiting. And the key portion of scripture that we will be exploring today is Acts 1 verses 4 through 8. And I will be reading the NIV translation. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then he gathered them around and asked asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Thank God that we are Pentecostals, amen? And I think that as Pentecostal, Bible-believing, Spirit-filled Christians, we need to ask ourselves, how can we become fully awakened and aligned to the mission of the church in this season. One reason and one way only, with the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And we should anchor our thoughts this afternoon at the start of our time together, that we are members of this house, Kensington Temple, London City Church. Do you have any idea how rich and how vast and how outstanding the heritage of this house is? And we are members of it. And I pray that we are not a church that goes with the flow. Amen? Sugar-coated sermons, seven steps to feeling better. No, no, no. We are custom created. Amen? We have been given an elevated position of responsibility in the wider body of Christ, and we have to steward that responsibility well. Simply put, we are unique, we are peerless, we are privileged. Our focus on win, consolidate, disciple, and send over many years has morphed into make mature and mobilize disciples. And the vision of this house is always London and the world for Christ. We must never surrender our heritage or our DNA. So how can we push through the paralysis that the wider body of Christ is going through at this time so that we can empower ourselves through the leading of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the plan and purpose that God has given to us. I believe that we are strategically and prophetically placed for such a time as this, to help others awaken from their own spiritual slumber, to break out of the molds of comfort and convenient Christianity that is pervading the body of Christ, to rise up strong in the things of God and possess the land that Jesus instructs us to do. So my opening question for your consideration today, do you truly want to see God move in your own life and in the lives of your family and friends and the context with which you operate? It's a thought, but I am persuaded that we're going to need to discard a lot of the religious rhetoric and the established patterns of thinking and behavior in favor of being unequivocally empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know something? Do you know where God moves most significantly in your life? While you are waiting. Have you thought about that? That's where he moves most. It's in the moments where you are waiting on him. And so often that cuts across 
the culture of the world that we live in, where movement equals progress. Hmm. I can't find in Scripture, Jesus ran, Jesus hurried. He spent a lot of time sitting, waiting. Why? Because he knew that he needed the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that what God does in us whilst we wait is as crucial as what we are ultimately waiting for? It's a sobering thought. And so the overarching goal of our time together today is to discover the purpose and the power of waiting on God. Because you know what? It is a gift from Him. Waiting does not mean, by the way, that you just go for a nap and wait for God to do His part and then you pick up the pieces and continue the journey forward. Waiting is not you resigning your responsibilities, abdicating your sense of leaning into His presence, seeking His face, reading His word, interceding in His name. No, 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 you still have an active role in this. But learning to wait on God means that we have to fully surrender any interest that we might possess about the outcome of our own lives. We all know the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Compelling, it's necessary. If you are a spirit-filled Christian, make no mistake, it is a necessary job description for each and every one of us. And yet here we find ourselves, just before his ascension, that he basically tells them not to move, which means that we need to understand clearly what he was referring to and how the promise of the Father related not only to those disciples at that time, but to you and I today in 21st century Britain. So I believe that there are a number of key principles and values that we can lay hold of and implement in our own lives. But I want to take a moment just to set the scene here. Jesus gives in verse 4 a two-pronged focus. He gives a commandment. So this is not him giving you an idea, a suggestion, a thought for your consideration or, you know, phone a friend. You know, if you want to wait, you can. If not, no problem. Go ahead. Do your thing. No, he gives them a commandment. This is an instruction that they must honour. Simply don't move. And the second is to wait for the gift that the Father has promised. Now, as Christians, we find the second part of that nice. We're always waiting for the promises of God. We're always looking for the promise of God, right? Because that's where the blessing is. That's where the breakthrough is. That's where the victory emerges. But I want us to narrow our focus to the clear objective that Jesus presents about waiting. What is very clear is the purpose and the value of waiting had an objective. Amen? Perhaps Jesus is wanting the disciples to examine their own hearts, explore what's going on in their own prayer life, perhaps. One thing is clear, they had to wait on the fulfillment of the promise. You know, time spent waiting on God, waiting with God is never wasted if you steward it correctly. Amen? And it's so important that we lay hold of that. So I have a few learning outcomes. First of all, number one, waiting is not easy. Really deep theology for you this afternoon. Let's be real. Waiting is not easy. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, well, actually, Scott, I find it easy to wait. Okay, how do you get on when your internet's slow? <laughs> no. Usually, usually, we don't like to wait. And yet you find yourself waiting in a supermarket. You find yourself waiting on the phone, checking an order that you've placed. You find yourself maybe even waiting to get into a church building. You find yourself waiting for your boss to let you into the Zoom room for the Zoom meetings. You find yourself waiting 
a lot of the time. Now, I think if we did a quick survey here, there would be a healthy number of us that struggle either consistently or intermittently with the process of waiting on the Lord. Because part of the tension is that there's doubt, there is uncertainty starts to seep into our hearts about why we are waiting. How long are we waiting for? What is the purpose of this waiting? We wonder what, if anything, God is trying to achieve in the process. And as a result of that, we risk dismantling the confidence, the trust that we have built in Him with our swirling emotions, our enlarging fears, our ongoing worry, filling our hearts and lives. Do you ever find that when Jesus gives a command, it's a lot easier sounding for Him to say it than it is for us to do it? (laughs) Love your enemies. (laughs) Bless those who curse you. I mean, stop me when, when, when when it matters to you. It's so easy to give the command seemingly, to speak the word out, but to actually own it, have it in your heart. And not just on Sundays when you punch in and punch out at the end of the service. I'm saying in every aspect and area of your life. And yet I think there is so much for us to learn. The challenge is now is that we actually have to wait regardless of whether you want to wait. That's awkward because I guarantee that 90 plus percent of us, if we didn't have to wait, we would choose not to wait. Just get me straight to the blessing. Give me straight to the promise. And yet here's the other awkward part of it. We don't actually get a say in the matter. Jesus didn't give his disciples options. He didn't give them a timeline either. He said, you wait on the promise that my father has given you. He didn't give a date. He didn't say it's 10 days, which we more or less know it would have been. He doesn't give them a finite date or time where at least you know the agony, the anguish, the the tension attached to your waiting has a deadline. That makes it more awkward. That makes it more challenging. That makes it more difficult in my mind. And the same is true for us. I'm sure if we thought about our own prayer lives, if we thought about the things that we have leaned into the presence of God for, the things where we've demonstrated a strong heart for God and trusted Him on, God has promised you, as a response to your prayer that he will provide it, but invariably he's not given you a date or a time. We can take great courage today from nothing else that the promise will be fulfilled. Amen? So now we need to be very conscious that we don't simply wait and endure the waiting until we get what we think we want. I'm finding more and more in my own life that waiting on God is a spiritual process and the solitary outcome of this waiting is that we become exactly who and what God desires us to be. It's a process of refining and shaping, a process of us continually submitting ourselves to God and to the power of the Holy Spirit to operate in the full capacity and potential of God in our lives. You know, the first command in the book of Acts is do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. That promise we all know is the Holy Spirit. And it's that power that we must be plugged into, knowing that that power produces our going out, our effective witnessing for Him, which informs us ultimately that the first instruction Jesus gives to us as believers is not to move, to stop, to wait, not to rush off ill-equipped, ill-advised, or inadequately prepared. Now here's a sobering thought. I am convinced 
that the reason that the church of Jesus Christ is not operating to its fullest capacity today is that because we are not prepared to wait. We are going out in our own strength. We're trying to do things in our own intellect, with our own wisdom, our own knowledge, taking advantage of the own opportunities that we can create in our own lives. And you know what? Most of it's powerless. And that's why it doesn't last. And the evidence for it is in Scripture. We need to stay plugged into the greatest source of power available to us. Have you ever raced ahead of the Lord? Just me then. Honestly, the challenge for us is that we are naturally impatient. You know, we are never going to fulfill individual or corporate callings for the wider body of Christ if we cannot grasp the basic principle that we need the Holy Spirit. He is not an optional extra at the end of your Christian menu. Amen? He is center. He is front and center. And we need the power of the Holy Spirit to operate right through our lives. And that's why we are seeing so much what is happening in the name of Jesus Christ is not lasting today. There is no power, there is no permanence, there is no potency, and there is ultimately no purpose to it. Simply put, if the Holy Spirit is not in it, it will falter and fade. Now, I know that we all want the great promise in Acts 2 to be fulfilled, but ultimately it was fulfilled in Acts 2, not Acts 1, which means things shift after they waited, not before. Maybe for our own lives today, Things will shift in our own lives after we genuinely wait on God, not before. You know, people got added to the church, people got saved after they waited on God. Now I know, depending on your nature, your personality, your character, waiting on God is difficult. It cuts across our character, our human nature. But regardless of your heart and your posture today, it is an inescapable fact that we need to wait. We will only be those effective witnesses and disciples for Christ if we solely lean in to the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, the only fuel that you are going to use is your own self-effort, your own intellect, and your own ideas. And I have some breaking news for you. I guarantee you one thing, it will falter. Now, when you think about waiting on something, we always associate it with delay. We always associate it with negativity. But then you think about the farmer. What does he do? He sows seed, he scatters seed, and he waits. And he waits months in anticipation, in expectation of a great harvest. And so there is definitely a lot of good that can come for it. It is an active engagement, an awareness of what God can do in your life and God, what God wants to do in your life, which means that you have a role and a responsibility today. You must remain committed and vigilant to what God has called you to do. You know, when you wait on something, it communicates a high level of trust. That's what it does. It communicates a high level of trust and expectation and confidence in God and God alone. I would also suggest, generally speaking, although not always, the longer you wait, the greater the blessing. Not always true, but generally speaking, true. And you know what else waiting on God does? It develops genuine trust. Trust. Not something we find easy as Christians. It develops genuine trust. So ask yourself the question, how much do you genuinely trust God today in your own life? Because that's a huge topic for us as Christians, trust. 
The more you wait on God, the more you're encouraged and forced to genuinely wait on God, to cultivate deeper levels of trust in your own life. They present real moments to intentionally tether your own heart afresh to God and to trust in His unfailing love. The world today teaches you that if you move first, if you do first, if you speak first, if you act first, you're right. There's no longer any integrity attached to what we actually necessarily do or say. It's about being first. And by being first, it means you're automatically right. So a rumor goes on social media. Whoever tweets it or posts it first, they're the source. They're invariably right. A million people share it. And yet, where is the integrity? Actually, we need to learn to wait on God. And we see right through the Scriptures, waiting on God has a purpose and a value. Your heart, as David declared in Psalm 27, will become strong as you wait on God. How are your levels of trust with God today? We all know the song, even though I don't see it, you're working. The lyrics for a worship song that we all know well. God is always working and moving in our lives. He's always shaping and molding our hearts in a way that forces and facilitates us to develop deeper levels of trust. And you know the byproduct of trusting more and more in God is that you stop trusting less and less and less. You start trusting less and less and less in other things, in other people, in the world system, in what your family, friends or work colleagues have to offer you. Do you know that God knows exactly what He's doing in your life? Are you aware of that? Like nothing takes God by surprise. The Word of God declares He knows the number of hairs on your head. So He's kind of interested in your life. You don't have to worry about what tomorrow brings when you trust the same God for where you spend eternity. Our trust in Him also has to be examined before we make progress. It's a trust that has to be well-established, tested, robust, confident in God. The third learning outcome for us, I believe, is ultimately that God is sovereign over your life. Simply put, God's in control. He always has been and He always will be, even in those moments where you don't sense or you don't feel that God is in control. I would actually argue it's in those moments mostly that He's in control. Not in the moments where you don't sense Him, when everything's going well, everything's hunky-dory, your ministry's flourishing, family are great, you, you can trust God easily then. You, you, you can sense His hand of control and favour over your life. I'm talking in the moments where everything is falling apart, where your life is just on a downward spiral. It's chaos and confusion in every part of your life. It's in those moments that you need to trust Him most. And it's in those moments that He's in most control of your life. But how are we doing with the next thought attached to the sovereignty of God in our own lives? Because part of accepting and trusting that God is in control, or God is sovereign, therefore He's in control, is that you're not. Ouch. How do we feel about that? Because control, very powerful, very, very powerful. When you think about control, abdicating control in your own life, that's awkward, it's challenging. We don't find it comfortable. And the reality is in the world, control can be used in a litany of ways 
to manipulate, coerce, and you can even find yourself dictating or determining outcomes for other people's lives as a result of the control that you may or may not wield in a particular environment. But you know, a life that is fully surrendered to God means that you have no control over any part of it, which means in those moments you recognize that you are not in control. So how do you feel? Do you feel helpless, nervous, angry? Or do you feel comfortable, secure, grounded? Because if it's the former words, then you haven't surrendered control or complete control, certainly. If it's the latter, then you recognize that you have surrendered your entire life into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Because our default position is to take charge. We get nervous about situations and outcomes that we can't influence or dictate. Now let me help you clear up some cluttered confusion. Are you aware of the fact that you cannot make God do anything in your life? <laughs> have you ever tried to? For those of you that had, have, how did you get on? Did you win? I anticipate not. And so when we recognize in our own lives that we cannot force or coerce or manipulate or tweak or in any way make God do something for us that we think we need, that's when we start to relinquish control. That's when we start to recognize His Lordship. That's when we start to move forward in our own lives. Luke 12 verse 7 tells us, as I mentioned earlier, but even the very number of hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not therefore. So if we know and accept that truth, then we know that we don't know that number of hairs on our own head, then we can accept the reality of God's sovereignty over our lives. Let me make it clear to you another way. When did God, God last fail you? I'll wait. He's never failed you. You know that, right? He's never let you down. He has never not provided. He has never not protected. He has never not been Lord. He's never not poured out his wisdom, his knowledge, his understanding. He is in full control at all times. There is not one moment of your day where he is not in control. And I think we need to grasp that reality and experience it, not just have an awareness of it or have a theological understanding of it, but have an experience of it in our own lives. And the only way that can happen is we've kind of got to get out of our own way. We've got to abdicate our sense of being in control that I know best and surrender it to him and actually wait on him. So can I encourage you in this particular area, identify and accept the boundary lines and responsibilities that you possess for your own walk with the Lord and leave the rest up to Him. I.e. know your job and know what is the Lord's job. Don't encroach on His Lordship or His sovereignty. You can't control Him. He controls the entire world. Nothing catches Him by surprise. He has your entire world in the palm of His hand. So He kind of knows what He's doing. And here's another thought, a welcome byproduct of knowing that God is in control is that by extension, you are not. And I can tell you from personal experience, thank God for that. Have you ever thought of the times where you've been Lord of your own life and the decisions that you made? Oh my, hot mess. I would be here for hours if I told you some of the stuff that I was doing in my own life from my own decisions when I was Lord of my own life. So thank God that you're not in control of your own life. Amen. And amen. And the fourth and final outcome for us is two words really perspective and perfection. I believe perspective is crucial for us as believers. It's a great learning outcome. 
because you've got to understand your own presuppositions, your own biases, and abdicate them. Those, that's going to be mandatory for you if you want to make progress in your life. You are going to have to understand your presuppositions and your natural biases if you want to make progress. Because our natural tendency is to predominantly or even solely see life from your own perspective. No other perspective is, is, is necessary because how you see it is the only truth. And the challenge attached to that is that we're imperfect which means by definition our perspective is imperfect. We make our learned experiences the gospel truth for all, which is ultimately wrong. And here's the best bit. God sees everything from his own vantage point, which means God's perspective is pretty useful for us to lay hold of. A bird's eye view, if you like. He sees the sum total of our life and lived experiences, not the slivers, and the sections that we like to cherry pick and present on a Sunday to our friends and our family. Because God is perfect, his perspective is ultimately perfect. Because he is Lord, he is sovereign over our lives. Because in our own lives, in our own experiences, when we think about our own perspective, the challenge is that it's often communicated through a lens or tainted by disappointments and fears and failures and challenges attached to it in our own lives. Perhaps we need to get out of our own way this afternoon and permission ourselves to move and trust God beyond the limitations of our worry and fear and allow Him to reside as Lord of our lives afresh. Remember, God is not ultimately on trial here, right? Waiting on God, you know, He's not on trial, you know, come on Lord, how long? Hmm? Who's in charge at that point? The Lord is in charge. We might think we are, but He is always in charge. And so ultimately, our heart attitude is significantly important. We have to cultivate humility. It's a requirement and a center kingdom principle. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, In the fullness of time, He makes all things perfect. Not good, not complete, perfect, which means there's, it can't be added to, it can't, the standard cannot be surpassed because it's got his fingerprints on it. So ultimately, what have we learned today? One, God is working. During the times in our lives where we are required to wait on God, we know that deep down he is working. Whilst it might be hidden, whilst it might not be evident or obvious to us in each moment, he is working. God will reveal everything in due time that he has placed within us, developing within us for his glory. And you know, those who wait on the Lord are never put to shame. You will never be disappointed. And if you think that you can do this by simple information and intelligence, you are one, horribly misguided, and two, you will find it horribly insufficient because you are doing it without the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. There is no other means, no other platform. If God is going to call you to do something, then He is going to be what you need in those moments. You're going to need His power. You're going to need His direction. You're going to need His wisdom. And you're going to need His grace. Because when God presents you a challenge, He doesn't just give you the challenge in order to give you the challenge. Amen. He actually does that because He wants to expose the stark reality of what is ultimately in your heart. It's not about God learning something fresh and new about you. He knows more about you than you know about you. 
And we often think, oh yes, you know, God's working something out, God's on trial, you know, God better turn up and do this. No, 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 it's to expose what's ultimately in your heart. And here's the challenge attached to that. Most of us don't like to do that process because of two reasons. One, we either already know what's in our heart and we don't want to deal with it. Or two, we know what's in our heart, but we find it super awkward and we don't find the avenues with which to overcome and lay hold of God's promises in our lives that help us surrender those challenges in our hearts. But here's the reality. Ultimately, Acts 1 verses 4 to 8 is a portion of Scripture for us that is very significant as Pentecostals. But we need to recognize that ultimately all of this comes down to one thing, obedience. Jesus gave them commands. They had a choice to be obedient or not. And the same is available to us this afternoon. The greatest days of the church of Jesus Christ are ahead of us, amen. If we want to be meaningfully used by the Lord, we need to understand the purpose and the power of waiting. It is not an idle clock watching mundane exercise. It is a spiritual process that you have to commit yourself to daily. Submit yourself to the process, trust the process, trust the process giver and trust the outcome. Remember the promise was fulfilled. So allow yourself to wait on the Lord, to be refreshed, to be renewed, revived and released into those times of intentional waiting. Isaiah 40 verse 31. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Now it's pretty blatant to me that if God could guarantee the outcome, He can guarantee every step or milestone in the process, right? If He can guarantee the outcome, He can guarantee every other step in the journey, which means that we need to wait on Him today. And you will find as you grow in your Christian life, that God places things in you, gifts, talents, abilities, like time capsules to be released over time that will ultimately bring Him honor and glory. It is ultimately for our own benefit. The authority and the ability that we so desperately need is found in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, we are the primary beneficiaries of that. Like any gift, it is always worth it, but we will find ourselves continually having to wait.